When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today, we look ahead to one of the most major milestones of our lives when we graduate into retirement. Now, here's our valedictorian and certified financial planner practitioner, Eric Brotman, your host of Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that teaches you how to advance into retirement rather than retreating. Get ready for inspiration and actionable advice to guide you towards a seamless transition into a dignified retirement where you get to make your dreams a reality. Welcome to Don't Retire Graduate. I'm Eric Brotman, your host, and this is episode 12 of our first season. We are here in the second semester of your freshman year, and today we're going to talk taxes, and we're going to talk taxes with the man who's been dubbed the funniest tax guy in America, not to put pressure on him, but our guest today is Ed Lyon, and I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Ed, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Before we get started, and and I I need to hear the story, frankly, of of how you you received that moniker uh, from famous people, because uh, uh, you're setting a very high bar. I think myself quite the comedian, but I think you may have me beat. Uh, Tell us us a little bit about you and and what you've been doing and and a little bit about your background, just to tee us up. Sure. So I'm a tax attorney by training, and that means I bring a very different perspective to taxes than the typical tax professional. Most tax professionals, CPAs, enrolled agents, accountants, they come from an accounting background, and accountants put the right numbers in the right boxes, the debits have to match the credits, the balance sheets have to balance. They do a very good job of telling you how much you owe. And that's important. But what people really want to know is how to pay less. And the legal background brings in a very different perspective and a much more proactive perspective than the typical compliance background. So I like to think that I have a pretty good sense of humor. And I've been on CNN talking about tax deductions for things like boob jobs for strippers and voodoo animal sacrifice. Maybe there just isn't a lot of competition for funny guys in the tax industry. I can't tell you how rarely that comes up in our client conversations, by the way, but okay, please. But if it does come up, wouldn't you rather know how to write it off than not? You'll be the first person we call. Trust me, voodoo animal sacrifice is not something that your client's insurance is going to cover. So they need all the help they can get. (laughs) Fair enough. So, so uh, it it became a nice way to distinguish myself from competition in the tax field and in the tax education field. But really, the fundamental distinction and and the, the fundamental syllabus of this particular course is the difference between how much do I owe and how do I pay less. And I, I built a career. Is... I, I built a career trying to bridge that gap. Well, and, and that's something people request. I mean, we get asked routinely as, as financial advisors for, uh, for introductions to CPAs or other tax professionals, 
And a lot of times what folks really want is tax advice, not just filing. I mean, TurboTax can do a lot of the heavy lifting for most folks in terms of just filling out and checking the boxes. But how do you actually how do you actually wind up keeping more of the money that you've worked hard to earn? Uh, and, And of course, prior to January 1 of 2018, there was a set of rules that that existed for a fairly long time. And we all sort of knew the rules. And then, what, I guess last February, they retroactively, as of the 1st of January last year, they changed fundamentally on us. Uh, And you've written a new book about uh, the new tax law, and I'd love to hear all about it. Well, there really have been a lot of changes, mostly on the business side. So the 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 legislation, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, was primarily – about cutting corporate tax rates. And when you cut through the political fog, you see that there really was a fairly bipartisan consensus that that was something important for the United States to do. Even President Barack Obama at one point proposed cutting the corporate tax rate from 35% down to I think 27 or 28%. The problem was a lot of businesses operate as pass-through entities. The businesses don't pay tax themselves. They pass the income through to the owners and the owners pay tax. So we had to make some changes to the individual tax system so that there was not an unfair treatment for individual owners versus corporate owners. Once you open up Pandora's box, you have a lot of changes. Everybody else has their little change that they want to make. Some some dumb stuff like uh, members of Congress can no longer deduct $3,000 for living expenses in Washington, D.C. on their own taxes. Not not a big deal. So there weren't a ton of changes that affect people who are looking at transitioning out of the world of work into whatever comes after, after work. So we eliminated the personal exemption. We raised the standard deduction. It used to be that about a third of people would itemize. Now it's only about 10% of people who itemize, and it's mostly going to be people who are paying mortgage interest. So a lot of retired people who are no longer paying interest on their house are going to be locked out of that that itemizing. We've got some lower tax rates for everybody. We've got some rules on Roth IRA conversions, which uh, one particular particular change on Roth IRA conversions, which I think is an important part of planning for anyone who's retiring, and we can talk about that in more detail in a little bit, but it used to be that you had an escape hatch with a Roth IRA conversion. You could do the conversion, and then if you did your taxes for that year and discovered that you had converted too much or made a mistake entirely, you got a do-over, which you don't get in the tax code a whole lot. Well, there's no more do-over. They called it the recharacterization, but I, I like to refer to it as a mulligan. You're no longer yeah, allowed exa- to take that. Exactly. You don't get to take a mulligan anymore. And now that makes your first tee-off shot all the more important and the planning for that even more important. So not a ton of the bill really applies to people who are in retirement, but a lot of planning involved in in making that transition, obviously, and, and that's the, the whole umbrella that, that shelters this discussion. Now, I saw that you have made appearances on both MSNBC and Fox News, which in and of itself is hazardous to your health. Uh, I don't know how much you had to change your approach on the two networks um, and would hate to opine about that. But um, I get the sense that a lot of the tax, uh, the tax bill and the, the new law had a, a political bias to it. And, and, 
And some of that refers to how salt is treated and how it disproportionately impacted folks in certain states. Sure. Um, and, and I don't want to ride the political third rail today. That would be not what our show is about. Um, but I am curious, first of all, how you navigated those waters on two slightly different messages uh, on those networks and also how you felt like the, the salt conversation. And for our listeners, that's the state and local tax uh, provisions and the cap on them at $10,000 per year. Uh, and I'd love your take on that because that, that to me was not a business issue, but a very personal one and uh, somewhat political. No, that was that was sticking a finger in in the eye of the blue state. So when I when I did my television appearances, it was before we had gotten so politically hyperpartisan. Now, if you turn on Fox News or MSNBC, it's all Trump all the time, and it's all political news. It used to be that they would do what uh, what journalists would call service journalism, and it was really non political, uh, even on a political network. In in the same sense that you know people criticize Fox News for being you know, right-wing political propaganda. Well, you can watch Fox News all day during the afternoon and find some fine independent journalists who who aren't part of that. So you, you can be non-political. Having said that, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act passed with overwhelming unanimous Republican support and no Democratic support. In that sense, it was kind of the opposite of the Affordable Care Act, which passed with all Democratic support and no Republican support. But the philosophy behind the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act is mostly it was mostly conventional Republican economic philosophy, the same sort of uh, philosophy that the Republicans have been espousing for 30 years. This state and local tax issue, though, was new, and it really did come out of the blue. So there's now a cap on how much you can deduct for state and local income and property taxes combined. That cap is $10,000 a year. And that leaves a lot of people out in the cold who come from high-tax states like California, New Jersey, New York, and Massachusetts. Not coincidentally, those are blue states. Those are heavily Democratic states. And it's funny, attorney generals and legislatures in those states are scrambling to find ways to recharacterize those payments. For example, some states have said if you make a charitable donation to a local government, they'll give you a dollar for dollar credit against the taxes so that we can cleverly disguise those taxes as charitable contributions. Now, you and I are both smart guys. We see right through that. The IRS is not stupid. They see through that too. So there, there is there is definitely a, a bit of a personal, you know, we're going to stick our fingers in the eyes of the high tax blue state residents uh, aspect to that tax law. But you know what? Someday, maybe sooner, maybe later, we're going to come to a time when the White House is held by a Democrat and both houses of Congress are held by Democrats. And it'll change all over again. And I'll look forward to coming back to the show and talking about <laughs> the changes then. Well, and, and we can certainly do that. Uh, for, for me, I, I think this is this kind of tax law is generating conversation for us with our clients and with our clients' families about things that are migratory. So, you know, we're seeing folks who say, you know, I don't want to live in Connecticut anymore or Maryland or New York or California. We love the weather, our neighborhood, our friends, our schools, our everything. However, 
Um, we don't want to do that. And we've actually helped some folks leave these higher tax states for tax for, for more tax friendly states, especially for retirees. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there, sure. there was a uh, I don't know how familiar you are with our local politics, but there's been some conversation uh, in, an, in our uh, state capital in Annapolis, Maryland, about how do we keep retirees in the state? Because, right. you, you know, ours is a state with with high per capita income, high income taxes. But but those income taxes are largely offset by growth of uh, real estate values and mm-hmm. of the wages themselves. But then when you're no longer earning the wage it sort of makes sense to consider living someplace where you're not taxed on the back end. And right, that's sort of, right. in, in law speak, that's arbitrage, no? It is. It's it's absolutely arbitrage, and it can be really expensive for the states. In New Jersey, a hedge fund manager named David Tepper moved to, well, he moved from New Jersey to Florida. Here's a guy who was one of the top hedge fund managers in the country making literally billions of dollars per year, meaning paying New Jersey income tax on billions of dollars a year. This guy moving to Florida is going to cause a hundred million dollar hole. He's going to blow a hundred million dollar hole in the New Jersey state government just because one guy decided that it might be more fun to live in Florida than in New Jersey. You know, same kind of thing in, in, in Maryland and in Annapolis. It's a, it's a resort area. People love visiting Annapolis. It's going to be easier for an area like Annapolis to keep people than, say, Hagerstown, which is uh, you know a perfectly nice place to live, too, but doesn't have that same kind of appeal. And these are really tough questions that states – that states and local governments are going to have to ask themselves, and it's a question that's been forced on them by a tax law that they had no part in writing. Now, we, we counsel folks, right now we have clients in 29 states, which in and of itself is, is, uh, can be a bear, and we have to understand the nuances of tax policy, but we represent a number of folks who are living almost at the border between North and South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And this was a perfect example where we had to do some homework and look at the, the variables. And what we wound up coaching folks to do was to live in North Carolina while they were working and earning a living and then to move to South Carolina, which could be across the street mm-hmm. when they retire. Because it means that you're, you're, you've been able to build money. You've taken tax deductions at the state level for mm-hmm. your retirement plan contributions while you're in a high tax environment. And then you're paying taxes on them, if at all, in a lower tax environment. That is no different than converting part of your IRA to a Roth and saying, I, I want to pay taxes now instead of later. You can take the deduction up front or you can take it after the fact, depending on your situation. But it makes no sense. If you can move across the street and not even change your, uh, you're changing your zip code and your, right. your driver's license. But other than that, you haven't even left your neighborhood all that much. And it can save you half in, in income taxes. It's unbelievable. And, and that's what smart tax planning is all about. Because if all you do is rely on TurboTax or a local CPA to record the history without telling you, hey, here's a really easy opportunity to rewrite your history so that you keep more of what you saved for retirement. Ed, when is the last time you heard the IRS issue a mea culpa and said, boy, we made a mistake? (laughs) That that is sort of rhetorical, but I'm I'm literally asking the question because... (laughs) I'm literally laughing out loud. No, I know. Well, because 
I, I, I'm of the opinion uh, that the backdoor Roth IRA was an absolute mistake by the IRS. And instead of acknowledging the mistake, they went through, looked at it and said, oh, yeah, that's what we meant. Go for it. A- am I wrong or is that the greatest tax accident ever for people of means to, to make Roth contributions functionally, even if they're not eligible? Well, it's, it's the law of unintended consequences. You don't think everything through. When people when, – when Congress – remember, Congress passes the laws, not the IRS. The IRS is the government's accounts payable or the, the government's accounts receivable department. They just collect based on the laws that Congress passes. And when we discover loopholes in the law, we're, dis- we're not discovering mistakes the IRS has made. We're discovering mistakes that Congress has made. This last law, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, has all sorts of technical mistakes in it and things that the, the, re- the Republicans would love to go back to the drawing table and say, hey, guys, you know, we, we kind of rushed this through. We wanted to give the White House a political triumph and something that they could brag about. But, you know, we, we wrote the law at two in the morning on the back of a cocktail napkin because we had been out drinking with lobbyists earlier in the night. And, you know, we didn't quite get it right. And, and the Democrats uh, – to to their credit or not, are, are not interested in helping the Republicans fix those mistakes. Those sorts of things happen all the time. So we've got a whole body of opportunities, a whole, a whole uh, curriculum, a whole syllabus of, of ways that we can do backdoor Roth IRAs and Roth contributions and, and things like that that were never intended back when Delaware Senator Bill Roth created the Roth IRA in the first place. And this this brings me to another point on the this overall lesson about tax professionals who tell you how to pay less as opposed to how to pay more. There's a pretty easy way to summarize how the tax code works. It's 2,900 pages in a single volume. Most of it is – it looks like gobbledygook. And, and nobody's read every word of it. I, at least I certainly hope not. I haven't, you haven't, and, and nobody should. But if you want to reduce the tax code to a single analogy, you think of it as a series of red lights and green lights. So you've got sections that say, here's the tax, here's the rate, here's the FICA tax rate, here's the net investment income tax. Those are all red lights where you stop and pay tax. Then there are green lights. Code section 7702 says life insurance uh, loan proceeds are not taxable. For example, code section 170 lets you make charitable gifts. Code section 179 lets you take first-year expensing deductions. Those are green lights where you get to go without paying tax. Most CPAs focus on the red lights. And that's important because blowing through the red lights is how you get in trouble. But they don't sit down and look for the green lights that let you go without paying tax. And going to tell you a secret here, and this makes a lot of accountants really uncomfortable. You can turn right on a red light. And the tax um, code. Your secret, your secret is safe with me, and I won't tell anyone. <laughs> okay, and, and I'm sure this listeners. is not being. I'm sure this is not being recorded. You'll be fine. No. Okay. Good. 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 I don't right. want any of the. I don't want any of the listeners telling me. But but a lot of the back. You know, the backdoor Roth is essentially that's turning right on a red light, and a lot of 
a lot of accountants are just, I think, temperamentally uncomfortable. Not all of them. I don't want to malign accountants as a group. I work with accountants across the country. You do too. They're good ones. They're bad ones. They're bold ones. They're scared ones. But temperamentally, accountants tend to focus on the red lights and are reluctant to turn right on a red light. So is it me or is a tax refund nothing more than an interest-free loan that you've given the government and they give you some of your own money back for overpaying them? Yeah, it's an interest-free loan to the government. And you've got a way – so conventional personal financial advice says – Don't overpay your taxes throughout the year. A tax refund is a bad thing. It means you have loaned the government money and not gotten any interest on that money. And that is true. But you've got to weigh that in most people's financial reality. The reality is if you get a $2,000 loan that represents taxes you paid throughout the year that you didn't need to pay, how much interest would you really have earned if you had put it in a bank savings account or a money market fund? Probably, probably 10 bucks. Yeah, probably 10 bucks. So it's not 10 bucks really, before taxes. 10 bucks before taxes. So you're not really losing much. And a lot of people would rather pay, would rather forego that $10. That's an opportunity cost. They would rather forego that $10 in exchange for knowing that they won't have to write a check to the IRS or even using it as a forced savings account because what do Americans do with their tax savings? Do they say, I'm going to pay down credit card debt or I'm going to fill holes in my financial plan or I'm going to catch up on some deferred maintenance on my home? No, they blow it on a vacation. We're Americans. That's true. Well, and and you know, I would say that the $10 you earn on that $2,000 is not as important as the $2,000 of principal on Visa you could have been paying with a larger paycheck. You know, I think the opportunity cost is a lot higher than just a half percent interest. Because if you're carrying personal debt, which is also the American way, is to buy first and pay later. um, You you know, if you're paying 18% on a Visa, then uh, having an extra $100 a check go towards that uh, could be real savings. It could be more savings than the loan amount, frankly, over the course of a year. So in, in some ways, uh, in, in some ways, I think it's a misnomer to say, well, interest rates are low, so who cares? Um, the thing that struck me funny about this, though, is the, the again, the political banter about how people are up in arms about getting smaller refunds this year, uh, failing to realize that they had smaller withholdings throughout the year. So right. that this was a good thing, but folks who were counting on those refunds as for savings aren't prepared. Right. Well, faulty short-term memories, that's as American as apple pie, right? Uh, it's up there. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's definitely yeah. up there. Not as tasty, but it's definitely up no. there. All right. I, I want to make sure we cover – I want to make sure we cover another unintended consequence of this tax law, which is uh, the impact on charitable giving because yes. um, I, I think the folks who were most – uh, quaking in their in their proverbial boots were the nonprofits who rely on the fifty and a hundred and one hundred and fifty dollar gifts from lots of people in order to make their annual funds work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, large foundations are practically unimpacted by this, but the small charities and the small gifts from folks who might not be able to deduct them anymore. Um, has created some some panic amongst nonprofits. And I don't know anecdotally if the the full course of the year, if it's been long enough to know what the impact has been. 
Um, but well, I get the sense that this is we're going to see a lot more uh, strategies around donor advised funds and around pooling gifts. And now we have to yeah, be we, much more thoughtful about the way we give money, right? Well, some of us do. Some of us do. So up until 2017, only about a third of people itemized. So anybody who made charitable contributions and wasn't already itemized isn't hurt. So a lot of those $25 and $50 contributions, a lot of those small donor contributions came from people who weren't taking advantage of the tax break anyway. They were donating because they were genuinely charitably motivated. With the new tax... With the new tax law... What a concept, yeah. Yeah. with, With the new tax law, there's a group of people probably somewhere around 20% of Americans who used to be able to itemize and don't itemize anymore. Now, does that mean that your charitable gifts are no longer deductible? Yes. But you're still getting the same deduction. You're just getting in the form of a higher standard deduction than having to itemize all of your charitable gifts. So married couple filing jointly, standard deduction used to be 12,000, last year it was 24,000. If your itemized deductions, including charitable gifts, were $20,000, you got to deduct $20,000 because that was higher than the $12,000 standard. Now, if your charitable gifts and your other deductions are 20,000, you're actually getting to deduct $24,000. So you're not actually costing yourself anything more to make those same charitable gifts. If you really are on the bubble, there are ways to accelerate gifts into every other year, for example. You can do what's called bunching deductions and itemize one year, take the standard deduction another year, so you can do that. Or, and you mentioned one of the the alternatives, you can use something called a donor-advised fund where you can put several years' worth of gifts into the fund at once, take the deduction, and then pay the gifts out from the fund over a period of several years. There are also all sorts of higher-end charitable strategies, and a lot of higher-end donors really are stepping up to the plate and giving more and helping reassure charities that they're not going to go out of business. I work routinely with with, uh, strategies for people who are selling real estate or selling a business, and they look at, you know, oh, I built this business over the course of my lifetime. It's worth $3 million. I can sell it and I can move into the next phase of my life. But wow, the taxes on a $3 million business sale, I might be looking at eight or 800 or a thousand or a million dollars in taxes. So I can't sell that business. Well, there are strategies using charitable trusts that can eliminate the tax on that business sale and give you more income for retirement than you would have had if you hadn't done a charitable trust. And I see a lot of interest in those sorts of strategies. So if, if anyone has you know, real estate or a business worth more than about a half a million dollars, we work with clients like that all the time to help them structure those sales to, to minimize the taxes. And that does two things. It gives them more income in retirement, more and safer income in retirement. And two, if a seller says, oh, I want to sell this, but I need to net X dollars after tax. 
it makes it easier to sell the business because it gives them flexibility on the price if they don't have to fight the IRS along with finding a business broker and finding a buyer and negotiating the sale. We take one obstacle out of the way. It gives them flexibility to, to do a better job uh, negotiating the sale. I'm I'm a huge fan of uh, remainder trust planning and other types of charitable planning, uh, yep. and and you talked about real estate and you talked about a business interest. The other is highly appreciated stock. So yes, for folks absolutely. who've been working for working for a big public company and been getting stock in a in a purchase plan uh, or in an ESOP or other or other well, not an ESOP because that's a qualified, but in a in a stock purchase plan where you've built this big war chest of, of stock with low basis, that's another thing that can be that can be used for that purpose. So um, I, it's interesting. You, you mentioned the twenty five and fifty dollar donors probably weren't itemizing in the first place and therefore are unimpacted. Um, and that makes sense. I'm just wondering if the $2,000 donors became $1,500 donors. And, and maybe they didn't. Maybe it doesn't move the needle enough and they don't care or maybe they don't realize it. But I'd love to see at some point some type of, uh, of, of hard evidence from uh, whatever organization, uh, oh, and, these, and, these various nonprofits. It's got to be there. Oh, the hard the hard evidence will be there. It'll be statistical. Anecdotally, charities are not being hurt as much as they thought they would be. I'm on the board of a, a not-for-profit here in Cincinnati, the Cincinnati Chamber Orchestra, which, by the way, if you have charitable dollars that you want to spend, the Cincinnati Chamber Orchestra is a great place to do it. Our donations are actually up after tax reform. That's great. I, I love that. Always be closing. Always be closing. Um, so, so, Ed, we're, we're, we're running out of time. I, I've had a lot of fun with this conversation. And, and one of the things, you know, we, we talk about uh, the idea that retirement is not a disappearing act, but that it's a graduation and moving on to the next phase of life. And a lot of times that does mean some big change. It could mean selling a business. It could mean uh, moving to a, a different locality, especially in light of the tax conversation we've had. Um, I'm wondering if you could provide our, our, our class with that one extra credit assignment, the one thing that folks could do. Um, and specifically, since you, you've talked about ways to reduce your tax bill um, and not just to stop at the red lights, and I love the analogy, what would that one nugget be that folks could take away from our half hour today and say, here's the one thing I can do to, to retire with dignity and, and to reach independence? The one thing you can do is plan. Most people never plan their taxes. And you are familiar with the cliche that most people spend people spend more time planning their annual vacation than they do planning their retirement. Well, very few people sit down and plan their taxes, and that really is the key. If you were to start a business today, you'd probably sit down and create some kind of a business plan, even if it was only in your head, to fill your pipeline with prospective customers or clients or patients or whatever it is you're doing. You wouldn't go into business without a plan. So why think that you can navigate the tax code successfully through the transition from the working world to the retired world without having a plan. And that really is, is the key. And it, it, is, it, is a, it is a homework assignment. And the, the word homework includes the word work. It's not necessarily going to be easy, but the rewards are well worth it. I, I think that's an excellent extra credit assignment. And I, I very much appreciate that. And, and quite frankly, you know, people do spend more time planning their vacation. But if you've been to Disney World lately, Ed, <laughs> you know that if you're not on that app, 
six months before your travel date to the minute, you will not get the fast passes you want. It takes more time to plan a Disney vacation than it does to plan your retirement. That's not anecdotal. That's true. My wife is that's appalling, <laughs> but I believe it is. But, but that you, is appalling. you cannot believe you cannot believe there are weddings that get pulled off more easily than planning a Disney trip. Uh, and so I leave you with that. If you're planning a Disney trip, call me. I'll, I'll introduce you to my wife. She can help with that. So uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. How can folks get in touch with you if they'd like to uh, to, to follow up with you? Go to a website called financialgravity.com and we can hook them up with the plan that I just talked about financialgravity.com fantastic and we'll put your information in our show notes as well uh, I thank you for being an incredible guest this has been a lot of fun uh, and for it all our listeners been. remember don't retire graduate from this day forward let us make each decision with our best interests in mind let us begin visualizing our dreams and reaching our goals it's time to take the next steps in our life journey and build our futures today I implore you don't retire, graduate. Visit our website, don'tretiregraduate.com to download episodes and connect with us on social media. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.